Hello. This is Behind the Movement. Thanks for being here. I'm Kyle Fincham, and my guest today is Mary Burgess. I'm excited to share this conversation with you. Before I get to it, I have uh, a couple things I want to share. Um, I really want to send a big thank you to everyone who came out for the movement conversations that Roya Carreras and I facilitated at Perry Dance the last five weeks. It was amazing. So if you were there, thank you so much. And we hope to return back at some point, maybe near the end of the summer and, and present some more of it. So yeah, big thank you to everybody who was there and thanks to Perry Dance as well. And also thank you to my partner in crime, Roya Carreras. Uh, I have some infinite play events coming up uh, in May, <clears throat> and they all have, uh, at least the first two have early bird pricing, so you can save a little bit if you sign up before May 1st. Um, on May 14th and 15th, I'll be in Santa Fe. On May 21st and 22nd, I'll be in Long Island, New York. And then on May 28th and 29th, I will be in Toronto, Ontario. And then in June and July and August, I'll be doing events in Europe. And all the info for those are at my website, kylefinchum.com. That's all I got. Short and sweet today. But if you're out near any of those places, I would love to see you. If you're not even close... Feel free to hop on a plane and come and join. Uh, I think they're going to be really amazing events this year, and I, I can't wait to, to get out there and and connect with per, in person with everybody. So, yeah, looking forward to it. My conversation with Mary was wonderful. It was such an honor to connect with her. We were actually in the same place at the same time back in January for Kinetic Playground in Boulder, um, but we didn't have a ton of time to chat. It was kind of a, hey, how are you? I've heard about you. Um, but this is the first time we got to really share a conversation. If you're not familiar with Mary's background, I'm going to share a little bit with you and also add that we talk about some of her performances in this conversation, and I'm going to add the links to, excuse me, the links to them in the show notes. So you can uh, watch some of what we're talking about on YouTube because it's really beautiful and amazing work. Um, Mary Burgess is a circus artist, dancer, software developer, and a general art and movement enthusiast based in the front range of Colorado. She specializes in pole dance and seer wheel, but has also frequently performed aerial, contortion, stilt walking, and roller skating. Mary is known for her experimental conceptual pole performances, working with unique invented apparatuses such as the tree pole, and developing and integrating bespoke AI and motion tracking technology into her work. She graduated from the Frequent Flyers Professional Training Program in Aerial Dance Performance in 2015 uh, in the 2020 Pole Sport Organization National Artistic is the excuse me is the 2020 pole sport organization national artistic pole champion and currently runs 
Inanimate 48, an annual apparatus-based dance meets film event that takes place online and is open to anyone who wishes to exercise their creativity with weight-bearing objects. As I said, it was really an honor to connect with Mary. Uh, I really think her work is beautiful, so I, I, I highly recommend checking out the videos in the show notes. Feel free to pause in the middle of the, the podcast to take a look at them as we speak about them. Um, but this is it, my conversation with Mary Burgess. So I was in college for a long time, but um, first I went to the Toronto area in Ontario for a year-long art certificate in fundamentals like art fundamentals. Um, then I took that and I transferred to a bachelor's program in animation at a small art college in Laguna Beach, California, down in the OC. Did that for a couple of years. Then I decided to drop out and move back to Colorado. And I've been here ever since then. All right. But you, that means you've gotten to do a few different things. You got to go up and like be in like the north you got to go down and like be by the beach a little bit so you had some because that was yeah. nice. when we lived in boulder i was it was odd to not have a large body of water <laughs> yeah i hear that's that's the most common complaint i hear from people who move out here is that there's no water um so it was it was nice to experience different climates and um slightly different suburban environments mostly um I actually didn't go to the beach that much though when I lived in Laguna Beach because I lived up in the canyon and I was in a pretty rigorous program so I just did homework a lot uh -huh. <laughs> I actually did not get out very much but you but you dropped out yeah I mean it was kind of like a slow dropping out like I my parents wouldn't let me just like quit college even if I told them it was for a break <sighs> they're like no you have to stay so I, I was in an art college there and then I transferred to an art college out in Colorado. I was there for a semester and then I went to community college for a while. And then I went to aerial dance school while I was in community college. And then I went to CU and got a degree in engineering. And that took eight years to get through all of that. Whoa. Yeah, you have <laughs> a pretty uh, epic educational background. Yeah, yeah, it was very long. By the time I graduated, I always got to register first because I had so many credits. They did it by credits. Mm -hmm. So I always got my, my first pick of classes, which was really nice, but uh, it was hard one. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting because a number of people have told me that I should speak to you. A number of people. Um, and everything from like, kind of your artistic background and like your approach to to all things artistic but then also maybe someone mentioned something about you being an engineer or a computer engineer or something and I didn't maybe they didn't know specifically what you did as mm -hmm. well but it's just kind of like the whole constellation of you was something that was very interesting <laughs> I really like that that's a really beautiful way of putting it yeah um, yeah yeah, so you have so, so you so you have like a, a another you have a, a job that you kind of use your education in engineering from. Yes, yes, I have what, what most people call a day job. Uh, uh -huh. It is I sit at a computer and I go to meetings and I do work and I check my email and 
uh, I wrote, I write code um, specifically right now. I work for a company that does, um, they work in the energy domain. So they are working in something called demand response, which is like this way that we help like manage our grid during times of high load and it helps it be more efficient. And it also opens up the grid to like renewable energy and allows the flexibility that is required so that we can actually use those sources of energy. Wow. That's, um, it sounds like, a, like an, to me, it sounds like a noble cause. <laughs> yes. Yes. The mission is definitely centered around climate change and, um, you know, trying to make the best future that we can. Uh, so it's really gratifying as day-to-day um, -day work. I feel like I'm contributing to something that is meaningful, which is why I took the job. I was just about to ask if it was, if you fell into it or if you were deliberately choosing that work at that place because of their mission. Well, I mean, it was kind of a little bit of both. I wasn't looking, I knew that from my last job, but that's what I wanted to transition into, but I kind of just found this company and it, it was, seemed like a good fit. So uh -huh. I ended up here. All right. And you said that you also went to school for aerial arts. Yes, I did a nine month professional training program um, with frequent flyers out here in Boulder. I've been around as a company for like, I want to say like 30 years now. Um, and they have this professional uh, program that you can enroll in. And it's like 25 hours a week of training and like everything you do, like all of the aerial, you do some dance, you do some like acrobatics, you do uh, different workshops and things like clowning and costuming and makeup. And so you learn the whole, the whole range of things you need to know as a professional performer. So I did that while I was in community college um, because I really wanted to do it. So what, what inspired that? Um, well, so you're asking what inspired me to go do the program. Uh -huh. Yeah. So when I was in art school, it wasn't going super well. And I found pole dancing while I was in school in California. And I was like, oh, this is what it means to like really enjoy something and really feel very passionately about something, which is not what I was feeling about my field of study at the time, which was animation. And so as I was transitioning away from art school and thinking I need to like figure out my life and like re-reevaluate where I'm going, I, I think at one point I decided like I want to major in pole dancing. That's not a thing that you can do. I don't know of any formal program that allows you to do that, but I knew that there was this program that did aerial dance and it was like fairly structured and fairly rigorous and it happened to be in the city I lived in. So I was like, okay, that's one of my goals. I'm going to go be in this program and that will help me quote major in pole dancing. Hmm. And I guess maybe to go like one more step back, what, what brought you into pole dancing? Uh, I mean, it was pretty random. I had, um, I'd been running at the time. Like I was struggling like emotionally with like my mental health. And I was like, okay, I need to exercise. I know that's like helpful for that sort of thing. So I just started going running and I am someone who really likes to have like goals or like sort of things to work towards. So I signed up for this mud run with the Marine Corps. I was like, I'm going to go do one of these mud runs because it seems like a really fun, badass thing to do. And I was looking, I had been running a lot, but not doing a lot of obstacle training, which was turns out a bad approach because it was mostly obstacles. 
but uh, I was looking on Living Social for a cheap massage because I had no money and I've been running a lot and kind of just going out there and running and destroying my body. And instead of a massage, I found pole dance classes and I thought like, oh, that might actually help me with the obstacle port part of this run. So I signed up for it and I went and uh, I just really liked it. I was like, oh, I'm going to do this all the time now. And that's what I did. Amazing. Yeah. I got to do my first pole class recently. Yeah. I think I saw a clip. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's beautiful for a lot of reasons. It's, it's, yeah, there's like a community around it. There's like a, it's supportive. It's also, I don't know, to me, there are so many aspects. I just, I, I really love, I could see how it, yeah. it, it, it it's hard to, people aren't going to maybe listen to it and it make all the sense, but it felt similar to when I remember going into jujitsu for the first time. And maybe it's just like entering things that are not mainstream that are a little bit more like counterculture or subculture. There's kind of like an excitement among the group around it to like bring someone new in and share about this like exciting thing that's happening. <laughs> and, and I think that's what was really my first thing. Oh, that's really beautiful. Like the excitement around it. Yeah, definitely. People, people get really into pole and there's like, you make a lot of friends and you just find a place, uh, which is really wonderful. Yeah. And I also got to watch recently a video that someone shared with me of you. And I think it was like a competition or it was something that was submitted for a competition. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to do, I'm not going to make a total effort here to describe it because I think people should just watch it. Um, and I'll let you tell people how they can look it up. But it was, I think there were three polls. Mm-hmm. And I guess like whatever someone thinks of when you say pole dancing, it this was like more abstract. It was like, uh, I, I don't know. It was, it was, it was, it was real kind of, I don't know. It was like a David Lynch movie or something. I don't know. <laughs> it was, I don't know if that's the, if that's what I would normally say, if I, that's really what I'm thinking, but yeah, I don't know. Is it maybe avant-garde and it was beautiful sure. and amazing. Yeah. And I'm, I guess it's not really a question, but I'm just curious, like, you know, were you always kind of like exploring different avenues with how to like take a, maybe like a traditional art form and kind of twist it and turn it and bend it a little bit? Um, or is that kind of like emerged over time? Um, I would say it's emerged over time. I was not a performer growing up. I didn't really I mean, I did some like musical theater when I was a kid, but I was not like a dancer, I guess I should say. I didn't do any dance. Um, So when I started pole dancing and I started choreographing performances, in the beginning, it was very like just by the book, like put together some moves, go on stage and do them. And it was just very um, sort of standard. And it wasn't until a few years in that I was like, I want to make work that is really memorable because I think I perceived that I was not like a super strong type of person. Like I've developed strength over the years. Yes. But I don't excel. Like I'm not going to go up there and like do crazy tricks. I don't have a gymnastics background. So flipping is really hard for me. I do have some flexibility, but I knew like my best, my best tool was my creativity and my mind. So I was like, okay, I'm going to just like 
try to wield that as best I can and make the craziest things I can think of and try to stick out in that sense. So that's always been one of my goals is like make work that is different. I relate to what you're saying. Um, and I think I talked about it actually on the podcast super recently. Like I think sometimes people have this inclination to like, like fix their weaknesses mm-hmm. rather than maybe using them as like the opportunity to, to discover strengths that they didn't know that they had or, or explore other places. Cause I was describing that for me, like things like acrobatics and things are really, really challenging for me, but in, in those cracks of like the acrobatics and, and t- things like that, I started exploring things like creativity and improvisation because I was like, well, those things just might not be the things, mm-hmm. but I can be unorthodox and like, a, and, and take other routes and other things can come out of that. Totally. Yeah. I think we also have like a tendency to drift towards the things we like to do. And that's like how you build up that ability over time. Like I've never liked strength training, so I just don't do it a lot, which means I'm not very good at it, which means I don't like it, Mm -hmm. but I like choreography. So I do it more. So I get better at it. So I like it more because I'm like, Oh, I'm good at this. It's fun. Mm -hmm. Um, You kind of just like follow the trail. I always think like, oh, it'd be nice to be really strong, but then I'd have to train in a way that I don't like to train that much. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's like good to step out of your comfort zone and eat your vegetables as some people might say, but I think also, you know, life is short. Maybe you should just do the things you like to do. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that it's, it's super alluring to get drawn in by things like Instagram and also kind of the world of like systems and progressions, like well, this is supposed to happen, then that's supposed to happen. And then this other thing. And then you see people on, on Instagram are like, well, they can do this. So that's the thing I probably am supposed to do. Like that's the arsenal I'm supposed to have when I, I'm, I'm kind of with you. It's like, there's this magic that happens when you, when you let yourself follow your interests. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The way you explore when it's something that really interests you and the things that start to emerge out of that on their own might be the magic and it, and it may not, and it might not be as Instagrammable, but it's like, it, 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 it might matter, you know? Totally. Yeah. I feel you on the not Instagrammable part. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like what I like the most is like the least interesting thing to put online, which can be frustrating at times because you feel like you don't get a lot of validation for your hard work, but at other times you're like, but I don't care. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. doing the things I like to do. So that should be all that matters. Yeah, if I, 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 I've talked about this with a number of people and a while back I was just like, I don't know. I really like this entire video that I made to this whole song. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to put out the whole video to the whole songs. <laughs> and people are like, well, nobody's going to watch the whole thing. And I just thought, I don't know, like, I don't care. And I don't know. I just also don't think life is in like 30 or 60 second blips yeah yeah you know like the tree takes a lot longer than that to grow you know totally well and I don't think you plant the tree for everyone else necessarily you plant it for yourself and like the way I use social media is very much like a diary or a logbook where 
it's for me, like I can go back and see like, oh yeah, I did that, I did that. And maybe I never go back and watch it again, but it's there if I want to. Can you uh, talk as best you can, I guess, about that that one piece that I watched, that that whole thing and what, what it was created for? And, you know, I don't want to spoil the ending because it's a very fantastic ending and I highly recommend watching it. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I want to, I just want to hear a little bit more. Yeah. I'm pretty proud of the, the magic trick that I do in that. It's, in that it's, video. <laughs> it's so beautiful. It's so like, you don't even see it coming. Some people are like, how did you do that? Like, mm. like, it's actually quite simple, but I try not to tell people. I mean, if you really want to know, you could DM me and ask, but, um, mm. yeah. So that piece was, uh, for pole sport organization, national pole championships, um, Pole Sport Organization is an organization that does pole competitions all over the world, mostly in the U.S., but they have like these regional competitions and you can sign up to be in the qualifier division in each one. There's like lots of divisions for like beginners all the way up to advanced people. And then the qualifier is if you want to try to qualify to go into the national competition, um, you have to win one of those and then you're in the national. And so I did that. In 2019, I qualified and then, of course, COVID-19 hit. So the national competition was postponed and then it was online. Um, and so we got to make a video instead of do a live performance. I was actually really excited about this because I was like, oh, I have lots of like video ideas that I've never gotten to really do. Like I haven't had a good reason to like put a lot of effort into something that is a little less standard in the structure. Um, so... I had had the idea to put poles close together for a long time. Um, and I was like, this is the perfect opportunity to do that. So I did. It was a little hard because I needed, I wanted like 50 poles. If I could have gotten them, I would have done that. But everyone wanted their pole at home. So no one wanted to lend me there. So I only had three. Um, but it was still really fun to develop a piece like that because I was like, well, this is technically pole dancing. So <laughs> it shouldn't get disqualified. Um, but it was also the artistic division, um, which most of what you're judged on in the artistic division is like your concept and how well you execute that. So it's like, okay, great. This will be high concept. Um, and I decided to kind of make use of that imagery of poles being close together to sort of resemble a jail cell and, and taking some note from like recent social movements sort of dive into the idea of like what, what it means to punish people through imprisonment and what that does to people. And so that's what the piece was motivated by. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, um, it was beautiful. I didn't realize that, that it was unique in a lot of ways that this was like the first time where there are these video submissions coming in as well. And that you, it changed the way that you could present what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they had done one earlier in the year that was just sort of a throwaway one that I signed up for. And I, I played with that as well, where I put my pole in a hallway that was very narrow and I actually like, used like the walls to like wedge myself between the wall and the pole and, and sort of explore what you could do there. Cause I was like, I'll never get to do this again either. So um, mm -hmm. I had done like a little bit of video work, but that was definitely the, the first time I really like went for it with 
with an online submission and put like a lot of effort into a piece. Um, I think it turned out well. I was pretty proud with it. Yeah, I think I'll, uh, it's on YouTube, right? Yes. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll add it to the show notes here so that okay. can just click on it and watch it. It can hit pause right now and watch it <laughs> and then return back. Yeah. And the, and I'll, and I'll have to message you privately to, to learn about the magic trick, but in some ways I don't even really want to know just because it's, it's just really nice to enjoy the mystery of the whole thing. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's how I feel about magic in general. When I watch like magicians, like actual magicians, it wasn't an actual magic trick. If you're listening to this, like, yeah. I'd call it that, but uh, more just like an illusion. I remember uh, do you, there were always these shows that would come on and I don't know how popular magic is anymore, like on TV, but I, when I was young, I used to love watching like David Copperfield mm-hmm. and maybe like in my teens, maybe I guess that's when it was happening. There was the Chris Angel show that was on A&E. Like I love those shows. But mm-hmm. during that time when it was popular, they also did a lot of these shows that tried to show kind of the behind the magic thing. There was always this guy who was exposing how these, these things were done. And I remember I feel like I remember watch- that. Yeah. And I remember yeah. watching some of them and not really enjoying it. And I couldn't articulate <laughs> why. But now what it is, it's just like it just ruined it. It, it yeah. just it, yeah, I was like, I just enjoyed being mystified. And now this is so stupid how this how how it was done. <laughs> like I'd rather not know. I'd rather enjoy the the, yeah. the the mystery. I think there's a lot of people when they watch magic, they want to like have the upper hand and like figure it out and so when they watch a magician they'll be like oh, I gotta figure it out and I'm like it's fine like it's probably something really stupid I just I'm gonna enjoy their craft and and let it be because mm-hmm. that's how I want people to watch me I don't want them to like analyze and dissect too much yeah I'm kind of I really enjoy like the suspending disbelief right? The, the, the letting go of that. Like when I was a kid, I loved pro wrestling mm-hmm. and you have to just be committed to it. Like, yeah. you know, magic is fake, you know, like wrestling is fake. So many of the things that happen when, you know, in certain kinds of like physical performance, like when you actually get into like the details of how it's done, you know, it may not be as like amazing as like what's being presented at least, mm-hmm. you know, um but yeah like why not just be amazed why not just commit and be a part of it you know like being at um what's that show uh where they where they joust where you go and, and you eat food and you watch them the renaissance festival yeah but they, there's like oh a, like medieval times medieval times yeah yeah like yeah go there and just be a part of it i don't yeah. know <laughs> just yeah like even when it's campy you're like i don't care that's the point yeah. 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 Commit yeah, to the role. <laughs> yeah. I feel that. How early on did you start um, competing in pole dance? Was that, was that something you started doing early on? Yes. I signed up for my pole, first pole competition within a year of pole dancing. Um, I was at a studio that didn't really do showcases. And I, because I was like an artist and in art school, I was like, well, I got to make something. Like, you know, like I got to put something together. That's like what I'm built to do. It's what I'm like driven to do. So I was like, okay, there's this competition in LA. This is when I was in Orange County 
and it was the same organization PSO they had like beginner categories that you could sign up for so I was like I'll do that and um yeah I started competing like my first competition was almost exactly a year after I started pole dancing and I mean it wasn't a great piece but I look back on it I'm actually really still quite proud of that one because I had no idea what I was doing and it actually turned out okay Mm -hmm. Um, and since then I've done well in total I've done 19 pole competitions and I'm currently preparing for my 20th really yeah I've done a lot will this be a video one or will this be in in, like a live one this should be live you know Mm -hmm. cross your fingers everything goes according to plan um yeah I'll be going up to Edmonton in June for pole theater Canada Mm -hmm. which will be fun hopefully yeah nice have you done anything where you've, because I, I follow you on Instagram and I see you working on lots of different things. Yes. <laughs> it's not just pole. Um, do you ever explore kind of, kind of creating hybrids between different like apparatuses and things that you work with? Uh, sort of. I mean, so there are like pole apparatuses that are like pull and other things like there's fab pole which is where you like attach fabric to a pole and you have like this whole vocabulary of movements um there's lollipop which is like a pole with like a hoop at the top um but i haven't really done a lot of my own unique combinations i've thought about it uh but it's kind of tricky yeah um like one time I did, I put my cereal up next to my pole and I was like, I wonder what I could do here. And it was really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I like nearly died several times. I was like, okay, so that's, that's a maybe we'll come back to that. Um, yeah. No, usually pole. I just let pole be pole. Yeah. I do. I, I went to, um, it was the, the contemporary art museum in Boston. And I forget the name of the, the contemporary dance uh, choreographer who they did like a whole section on or with, but he did a room full of gymnastics rings that were all hanging from the ceiling at different heights mm-hmm. and people could get in and like move through them and across them and everything. So as you were describing your idea to have 50 poles that were all kind of in close proximity to one another, I kept thinking about that. Um, yeah, I feel like I remember seeing photos for that. Um, I definitely like the idea of like reinventing apparatuses and like sort of repurposing them in ways that they weren't intended for with, you know, safety in mind, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, like I did a piece where I actually put my pole on the floor and I like, like a home pole you can, it's a tension mount. It's like a very fancy shower rod, right? Where you just like tighten it until it is like, squeezed in between your floor and your ceiling joist. And I just like put it on the floor and like squeeze it between two joists in the wall. Mm-hmm. And I could like slide under it and I filmed myself from above. I, this, my, this idea was not my own. I got this from um, someone who submitted to this competition that I run um, where she put her sear wheel on the floor and did like some cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was super fun. Cause like you could pretend that you like were super strong and could do all this anti-gravity stuff because when you filmed it, it looked like you were standing and you were doing pull tricks, but you were actually rolling on the floor. Um, 
I played in a similar situation at that same exhibit. Uh huh. There was a room where the ceiling was maybe, I don't know, three or four feet high and you would get in the room. So I went in there and started my camera, but then turned it all the way upside down. So it was like in the video, the ceiling was the floor. Yeah. <laughs> and the floor was the ceiling. So the way that I was kind of able to like move and manipulate and, and be in the space was very cool and trippy that way. Yeah. It's fun. To, it's fun to, to, I don't know, use the camera as a tool in that way. Yeah, totally. Um, I think I, a lot of it stems from, so when I was at Frequent Flyers doing the professional training program, they're like a very modern dancing kind of studio where they're aerial dance. It's not circus. Mm -hmm. They very much differentiate it from circus. It's not a circus training program because um, they are dancers and they use their apparatuses as like a means to dance. So there's a lot of practice in invented apparatus and like, you know, one of our lessons one day, this was a history lesson where we hung inner tubes by bungees and they were like, okay, this was actually a really important aerial dance work like many years ago. So we're going to like recreate it basically where you're just like bouncing up and down with like inner tubes and bungees or you'd go out and do like site specific improv. Like you just find a staircase and she would, you know, the teacher would like prompt you through this whole improvisation where you can use like your aerial skills, but like on a staircase instead mm. or on a railing or on a tree or whatever it was that you were on. Um, mm. So you kind of develop the sense that like, oh, anything can be an apparatus and I can use it in whatever way I want. I love that. <clears throat> I feel like uh, I want to say it's Leo Woods who was the first one who kind of started saying things like this to me, but like it's the permission to disobey. <laughs> yeah. Which I think people should have because I think there's a lot of like, well, this is what this is for. So we must use it for that, mm -hmm. you know, but it, it gets so interesting when people turn it into something else. Sometimes I think of uh, um, Robin Williams on inside the actor's studio. And at one point he, he just improvises and he's like, I don't know, he's playing with a scarf or something and all the things that he's doing with it. And that's that disobedience, right? Like mm -hmm. taking something and it can be anything. You know, like yeah. you, can, you can make, you can, you can remanufacture it into anything other than what it is because what it is is just something that we've defined and created anyway. Totally. I mean, that's like the definition of creativity, right? It's like, yeah. how can you repurpose things or re reconnect things in ways that they haven't ever been connected before? Yeah, yeah. So we, when you were in school, you were, you were studying a fair amount of improvisation. Yeah. Is that something you spend a lot of time doing now or is that part of your creative process or do you, do you prefer, prefer doing like choreographed pieces? Um, I do a lot of improvisation, yes. Um, it is my favorite way to just train, I guess, is if I want to just have like a good session and I don't want to, feel too stressed or I just want to like get in the movement, I will just or I will improvise for like an hour. Um, and it is a part of my creative process when I choreograph works. So generally I don't perform improvisations, although if it's like a low stakes environment, sure. Um, but I use improvisation uh, to sort of lay out things that I feel natural doing. 
and be like, oh, that worked for me. So like, I'm gonna pull that out and reuse it in a piece of choreography um, or I'll use it to like sort of iterate on an idea and like, okay, I have like this sequence but I don't really know where it's going. So let me just like start with the base and see where it goes and just do that multiple times until I find something I like. Um, mm -hmm. It wasn't until recently that I feel like my choreography got like much more structured and like rigorous and actually on eight counts for a long time. It was just sort of like, ah, you just sort of like feel it when you feel it and do it when you do it. Cause when you're dancing solo, it's not like you need to be in sync with anyone. And do you, like, do you attribute any sort of like moment to that change where it started to become more structured? or is it just like out of kind of time and familiarity you think um I think it started to become more structured when I got more interested in funk styles dancing um when I before the pandemic I was in San Francisco and I started taking a lot of dance classes out there because there's just like this really rich uh, community of, of street dance um in that area I was like, oh, this is great. I'm going to just eat it up. So I started taking a lot of like popping classes and tutting and, um, you know, whatever I could just find the time for. And I really fell in love with popping, but popping is like very rhythmic and like articulate and specific. And it's hard to like, I mean, people do improvise popping all the time, but um, when you're new at it and you're not as good, you have to like really practice. And so to put it in a piece of choreography or to like use those techniques in choreography, I was like, oh, I really need to like, define exactly what it is I'm doing so I don't just like look like a mess on stage just like a twitching mess um and that's where I really started to like focus more on those like very specific counts and beats and hits um in my choreography mm -hmm. yeah um I like that you were describing uh like using also improvisation as part of exploring to get into or to start like a, some sort of creation process for a piece. Um, I don't know, you hear about that so much. I even think about, I watched this Charlie Chaplin documentary recently mm -hmm. and you know, all of his films were totally improvised. Yeah. And sometimes scenes, like I think there was one scene that took multiple years for them to shoot because he was just unhappy with what was coming out of it. Um, but yeah, I, the more and more I think about it, the more I continue to believe this idea of kind of starting big and letting that lead into like the smaller things and then going back out to big to explore a little more and then like zeroing back in mm -hmm. um, as opposed to always diving in and having everything in line and defined. And I think that this, probably it goes for certain creation processes, but also like in the way that I, I feel is interesting in terms of exploring like movement practice as well as like starting big and like doing the play thing and let that guide you to where like, to take the microscope. Yeah. I think to use my art background, I always think of it sort of like when you are figure drawing, you start with like a very rough gesture where you just like throw some lines on the page. You're like, okay, their body was like vaguely this arc and then this arc and then this arc. And you have like a very fluid kind of stick figure to begin with. And then you start to build details on top of that. You don't start with like 
their notes or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the same way when you, when, at least when I choreograph, it's like, okay, like what is the bigger part of this? And let me just play with that for a while until I hone down into other pieces. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's not given enough permission to just like get in and kind of get lost and explore something before you start looking at, oh, like, what's this smudge right here? You know, oh, it's like, what's that thing right there? You know, like, just be be with it a little bit because there, are, I think there are those opportunities where you, like, you'll discover where you want to go with it mm-hmm. as opposed to always having to be like directed to the, hey, look at this or hey, look at that. Yeah, yeah. And I think it comes out a lot more natural that way as well. Mm-hmm. Just feels more right. Yeah. When I also feel like we learn so much more when not everyone has their eyes glued on the same spot, mm-hmm. right? Like when we are given that freedom and then you have a hundred people looking a hundred different directions and everybody gets to kind of come to each other and be like, oh, let me tell you what I saw. <laughs> As opposed to everybody looking at the exact same thing. Like, well, we all saw the same thing. So no discussion yeah. necessary. Yeah. I could see that. Because if you let people loose in a garden, everybody's going to go and get drawn to different things. And there's something <laughs> exciting. Yeah, there's just something exciting about that when people all discuss like why they chose a direction, why they just what, why they looked at the thing that they looked at, as opposed to one person being like, "Here's the leaf, and this is the leaf that we all have to spend time on." Totally. I think when you teach too, it's it's fun to be vague in that sense because you can mm-hmm. kind of like leave it super open and then you learn you learn about your students like more about them by what they give back to you or what they sort of come back with in their interpretation mm-hmm. I mean it's the same thing when I like interview job candidates for coding <laughs> mm-hmm. you leave things vague and see what they like make of it and that will like inform you what what they think about and how they see things mm-hmm. Do you, are you teaching pole? No, I'm not. I taught for many years locally uh, at a studio out here in Boulder. And then I went to San Francisco for a couple months for work and I was teaching some residencies out there. And when I came back, we were in lockdown and I had no interest in teaching online. I don't even like taking classes online very much. So I was like, oh no, I'm not gonna do that. And I just sort of like never really got back on the schedule. I started grad school and I just felt like I don't feel super compelled to teach at the moment. So I'm not teaching. Um, I probably will eventually again, do it, but for now, not teaching. What, what, cause now I understand like there's different classes that are being taught. What, what was your class or what was your style or what, 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 what was your approach that you were presenting? Yeah. Um, I mean, when I started teaching, I would just teach like basic pull technique, like beginner, intermediate uh, or flexibility or aerial. But by the time um, I got up to sort of like where I was when I stopped, I took more of an interest in teaching something I, I would present it as pull concepts where it wasn't necessarily a freestyle class. 
and it wasn't a choreography class it wasn't a technique class but it was a little bit of everything where you know each class I would kind of come up with an idea of like okay I'm just thinking about this thing and we'll we'll structure our class around that either through technique or choreography or through games or improvisation or challenges um, and it, it was all over the place in terms of like what those concepts would be. Sometimes it would be like, how do you actually do dance when you're up the pole? Or maybe it's like, how do you do pole dance while you're wearing socks? Or, you know, let's talk about isolation and articulation or planes of, of movement today. And, and it was just whatever I felt like <laughs> or mm -hmm. rhythm or yeah, um, which was super fun to, to plan, um, but hard to market. <laughs> Mm -hmm. people were like what is this I don't know it's the same thing as like the things that might matter or not as instagrammable it's yeah. kind of like the same things or it's like the things that might matter the most in some of these settings are the stuff that you can't like bundle up into like words that are super marketable yeah well and like is especially in pole dance studios like they're is a huge variety of student, like types of students and what they come to the studio for. And um, it, it was like too, it was so broad that it didn't really capture like any of those types necessarily. It was like, it was, I was sort of trying to strike out and create a new type of student, but you have to like, like foster that in, in people and like show them like, this is a thing that you can like be interested in. It doesn't have to be like sensual movement or it doesn't have to be tricks. It can be just like this weird, like exploration. Um, and that was challenging to do. <laughs> God, it's so, I, it's really challenging. Cause it's like, there's like two things. Cause some, I mean, these are the things that I feel when I present stuff sometimes is like allowing, allowing people to break from like a perceived aesthetic, right? Mm -hmm. like the permission and because it's it's a scary thing because like the aesthetic yeah. is like this place that feels safe it's a little island mm -hmm. um so that's really tough but also the idea that like we're just going to do the things that don't have words sometimes like we're going to do yeah. the things that fill the space between the things that have words like there's this how do you describe that <laughs> like here's this defined thing here's this defined thing but there's this giant space or small space. It's a changing size space in between them. And there's this beautiful magic that happens there. Mm -hmm. And like, call it spirit or call it whatever. <laughs> but like, there are ways that you explore it. And it sounds to me like there, that's a piece of what was going on. And, it's, and I know how hard that is to kind of describe too. Because it's like, yeah, because it's the thing that really is the important piece. Yeah, I think... I also had a lot of like personal self-doubt. I was like, what is this? Like, is it useful? Like, I felt like I had to have like a proven method of like, this will help you with this, which is like, I knew rationally that didn't make any sense. I was like, it doesn't have, like, what, do, what am I out to prove? Like, what do I, why do I need to feel like there's like some sort of outcome that would result in this? Why can't I just let it be an experiment? But I would feel like very worried that people weren't, perceiving value in it because I even myself was not even sure what the value was yeah um, the value the value that I've come to articulate is 
it allows us to welcome getting lost. Mm -hmm. That's what those are the words I use nowadays. Maybe it'll change and I'm sure it will. <laughs> but for now, I just say, you know, it's how we learn how to be lost. Yeah. If we just have yeah. one technique after another, I know that I can't be lost with that. Any of the other things that like help me move from one technique to another. Yeah, kind of like a little bit of not a ladder because a ladder feels too linear, but like a web of mm -hmm. connection. Like you are connecting the nodes with edges and, and it's the edges that we're in. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I find that it's also not, it's not something that's unknown. It's not thinking about them. It's just doing and mm -hmm. filling in all these like spaces. Right. And then all of a sudden there's a moment you're like, Oh, here I am in this technique and there it can go. And then I'm <laughs> back into like, you know, just kind of like aiming in directions. Yeah. A little bit of messiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Controlled accident. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, well, I hope, I hope you, uh, teach at some point when I'm nearby because I feel like I would really love to take one of your classes. <laughs> yes, perhaps the stars will align at some point for that to happen. Um, what is the, uh, do you teach, I'm, I'm, I don't know the, the names, but what's the other apparatus that you, that you work on a lot? Sear wheel, the big yeah. circle. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't teach that. I suppose I could. It's kind of hard to find students. <laughs> can you, can you uh, describe it a little bit just because people who sure. are listening might not know what it is? Yeah. So cereal is a circus apparatus. It's a big hoop that you can stand in. It's usually like a little taller than yourself. It's made out of metal um, and covered in like a rubber usually. Um, and yeah, you can spin around in it. You can kind of like step on it and like turn in circles. You can go under your hands and everyone asks what happens to your fingers and I'll tell you you just open your hands and just you open palm it um and it's a lot of fun it's really hard <laughs> it's really mm -hmm. difficult not because you need to be super strong or flexible or anything like that it's just you're trying to like manipulate this heavy metal wheel in space and make it do what you want which is a very unnatural movement for most of us and this is uh, an apparatus that you discovered when you were in school? Kind of. Um, Frequent Flyers, they host the Aerial Dance Festival every year in Boulder. And it's like a two-week festival. They bring lots of artists out. And uh, at some point, I think this was before or after I did the program, they brought out a guy named Sam Triple who's like the seer wheel guy in North America. He has like a huge collection of wheels and he just goes around and teaches in mass. Um, he's one of the only people that does that. And I was able to take a five day seer wheel course, which is like 90 minutes a day, which is not enough to like learn the basic step. You need more time than that, unfortunately, but it was enough to kind of be like, okay, I kind of like this. And I know I want to do it in the future, but it wasn't until a couple of years later that I had, enough money to buy my own wheel and start self-teaching the rest of it. Um, so I, I did it. I, I discovered it around the time I was in that program, but I didn't actually start training it until 2017, I think. It's been about five years. 
I didn't realize that there wasn't like a place that you were putting your hands because I've seen their videos and I was one of these people who was like, what's happening <laughs> to her hands? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most um, common question. <laughs> yeah, but it makes it seem so much, uh, yeah, m- scarier knowing that you're just open palming it as you roll by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, your self-preservation instincts are pretty strong. Mm-hmm. Um, I, if like I'm headed towards the ground and something is going wrong, I will just let myself come out of the wheel rather mm-hmm. than like hold on. Um, mm-hmm. I have only clipped my fingers once, but it wasn't while I was fully in the wheel. And it was really just the edges of my fingers. And even that was pretty painful. So um, mm-hmm. it's pretty hard to let yourself roll over your knuckles. I don't know anyone who's done it. Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like I'd be the first one. All, all, all the fingers would come right off I feel like but it's it's interesting watching that's why I think I was asking you know about the kind of cross-pollinating apparatuses because uh, mm-hmm. yeah I mean I realized that getting like a pole in the steer wheel in a room at the same time is probably really difficult but I'm I don't know I'm interested in that kind of <laughs> that kind of thing I mean I've put them in a room at the same time it was a very small room so it was really scary because mm-hmm. uh, the steer wheels are pretty destructive objects uh they just go where they go and they're pretty heavy and unwieldy so you gotta be careful um i have had a custom apparatus made for me that was like a pole but a tree Mm -hmm. it was like this organic pole that like it was just lots of pieces of poles that were like welded together at different angles and then like sanded down a lot so that it's like this kind of weird wavy bumpy pole um, I guess it's like one of the one of the weird combos where it was like this is a pole but not a pole thing that I yeah I've done. Where, where do you still have it? I do, yeah, because yeah, it was custom made for me um, by a welder out here. That I, I like had it, I commissioned it, and uh, I performed on it some. It's really hard. <laughs> it's like easy and it's hard because um, it's not a pole, so you can't just like do pole skills on it because like it's not symmetrical. So you'll, if you shift your weight, you'll just like fall out of things in a weird way. So you have to like find these weird perches and ledges to hold on to, um, that there's no like technique for, it's not like a thing that you can learn somewhere because it's completely organic, um, as an object. So it's hard in that sense, but it's, it's really pretty to look at. Like the welder did a really great job. Um, like its own art piece and then you kind of just get to dance on the art piece is there any video of you uh performing on it yes there's a video somewhere um i did a piece for the phantom circus in 2018 on it i'm sure there's other videos i don't i i know i've performed it in several instances but i don't know how much formal video there's actually of it there's definitely clips on my Instagram somewhere. Um, but I think there's only like one professional video of me on it out there that I know of. I will, I can send it to you if you like. Yeah, that. definitely. I really want to see. Um, so now you're working on a piece so that you're going to be competing with. Mm-hmm. How far along are you with it? Uh, I started at the beginning of March so when I was accepted into the competition. So it's been a couple of weeks um, because it's mid-April now. And... I have completed the choreography roughly. 
Um, so I'm competing in pole theater, which is like a circuit of pole competitions that happens all over the world. Um, it started in Australia and they have them in lots of different countries, mostly European countries at this point. And pole theater is unique from other pole competitions in that there are like these four categories that you can enter into. There's one called classique, which is like you're required to wear heels and take off clothing. There is one called comedy, which is just for comedic routines. Um, there's one called drama in which you're required to tell a story. And there's one called art in which you're required to combine another dance form uh, with your pole work. So I'm in art and I'm trying to combine popping and like funk style dance into the piece. So I've been, like I said, that's like a form for me that takes a lot of like very careful detail and planning and, and preparation and practice because I'm not like, I haven't been popping for years and years. So I have to really like practice the hits and stuff. Um, so right now I have like just sort of like the general movements, but I'm still working on like, okay, how do I like take these and then layer the popping on top of them? So like I go up the pole and I hold this pose. Yes. But like, I have to figure out like when I'm here, like what can I actually like engage or actually release and then engage so you can actually see the pop. Um, and that's the hard part because it's like, I have to do the move and then I have to do the move even better than just doing the move. Cause I have to like, control it so much that I can do those articulations. Um, so I've like laid out the moves and now I'm like trying to figure out the articulations in them. Mm. I'm super fascinated listening to you talk about your process, <laughs> kind of like this, this tinkering process. Yeah. Is that something that kind of like draws you in about competing is that it kind of forces you to like develop some amount of constraints that you then work around and you start tinkering around those constraints. Yeah. I love competing because it really pushes me to do my best work. Mm -hmm. Even if I'm in like a showcase, I kind of just like write it off. I'm like, Oh, there's no stakes. So <laughs> it doesn't mm -hmm. matter if it's super good or not. Um, so yeah, when I compete, I like definitely take things to the next, next level and I think like okay how can I get this to be more than just a regular pole piece um and particularly pole theater because it has those constraints of the categories you can use those um, but any score sheet will have like its own sort of structure of like what it is pushing you to do and you can take that and like use it to inform how you build the piece so um, in this case, it's like, okay, I really have to emphasize the dance style. If I were doing a PSO piece, which most of your score is based on the concept and the clarity of your concept, you're like, how can I really convey something very clearly to people? Um, there aren't a lot of competitions that just like leave it super open. <laughs> mm -hmm. So yeah, there's usually some sort of constraint, which Sometimes it's annoying. Sometimes you're like, I want to take it in another direction, but that's not really what, like, I mean, I could, but I guess I wouldn't do well. And so it's like the decision you have to make is like, do I want to place or do I want to just make what I want to make? Is part of the allure of uh, competing, and this is only my understanding from like getting to talk to people here, um, is part of the allure that there aren't also a lot of opportunities for live performance? or as many as that 
I don't know. To me, it sounds like there should be live performance for a lot of this stuff <laughs> all the time, but because there's not a lot of opportunities, it's like the, there's more of an allure to do the competition to like have these like performative moments. Yeah. I mean, like I said, when I first competed, there wasn't a showcase opportunity for me to just go create something for, I had to compete in order to perform pole. And in a lot of cases, there aren't performance opportunities that give you like the ideal pole setup um, and that you have like big open stage and just the right height of poles and like both poles are there and one's on spin and one's on static. And it's like a place that you can just like really do like a very good pole routine. Um, a lot of the times other performance opportunities you're on like a stage pole and those aren't as good. <laughs> like, stage poles are like when you have like a little base and then like a pole that like sticks up out of it. And it's, it's usually like nine or 10 feet tall and it kind of like wobbles a lot. Um, and no one likes doing pull on those as much as like a real like, floor to ceiling pole. Um, yeah. And then like when you're performing professionally, like I, I do a lot of like circus gigs and stuff. Um, you're often a not hired to do pole. Like they don't want that. That's like not their thing. Or you're like very much put into a, an aesthetic box, like, oh, we want a pole dancer because pole is sexy. So you have to do sexy pole or, right. you know, whatever. There's very few opportunities to go like do avant-garde pole for pay. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I think that like people don't even realize it's probably something they'd really love to see. Again, like to bring it back yeah. to the video in the beginning, I'm like, if I saw that as a stage piece, <laughs> my mind would be blown. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's such a missed, to me, I'm just saying, it's like, it's just this really missed opportunity right now. And I, it would be nice to see more of that. Yeah, I, I think people don't realize what it can be. They kind of have like a very specific image of it. Either like, oh, it's gymnastics or it's like sexy dancing. And like, both of those things are great. Um, but there's also like a whole other world of what it can be because it's, it's literally just an object and what it is is whatever you bring to it. So, you know. Your creativity is the limit. Um, it's unfortunate because I would love to do more pole gigs because that's my main apparatus. It's what I'm best at. Um, but you just don't get hired for it very often. Mm -hmm. and when you say that you get hired for for circus gigs, mm -hmm. what what are what are those? Are those performances? Or are they part of bigger shows? Uh, it varies. Um, so. Sometimes they're like parties, like events or, you know, parties or whatever. And they just want like performers to like make it fun and more immersive. Sometimes it is like a show with like an ensemble cast. Sometimes it's just a variety show. Like there's a venue in Denver called the Clock Tower Cabaret and they have like a little, enough space to do some circus. So sometimes people who produce shows there will reach out to me and be like, oh, do you want to be in the show? It's like vaguely the same, just make an act. Um, sometimes like a company is like putting on a whole production and they're like, we really want to have a seer wheel in this. Like, can you come do seer wheel in our show? And, um, yeah, it just depends. So mm -hmm. it's a whole variety of things. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I didn't realize, uh, I didn't realize how that whole kind of system worked. I also didn't realize that people were, would bring in just uh, circus performers for their parties. I feel like I realize now oh, I, yeah. haven't, I haven't been to, to, to high-end <laughs> parties. Oh yeah, people love it. They love to have 
aerialists and stilt walkers, jugglers are a popular one because you don't need to have any setup for that. Um, I used to get hired mostly for quote contortion. Um, I had a lot of natural flexibility when I started dancing and contortionists are hard to find. So people would just offer me money to do contortion. And I was like, sure, because I was in college. <laughs> and I was like, sounds great. But I was not like doing high level contortion or anything like that. I wasn't like doing crazy handstands um, and putting my butt on my head, but you know, mm-hmm. it was enough. <laughs> it was enough to please clients. Enough contortion. Yeah. They're like, mm-hmm. cool. She's like pretty bendy. That's great. You mm-hmm. like that. So most of it's just the ambiance of, of having someone there doing something different. Right. Kind of like some version of like a living statue in some way. Yes. You feel very much like an ornament when yeah. you work at like fancy parties. Yeah. It's like they get rid of the ice sculpture and they bring in a circus <laughs> performer instead. Or they have both. Yeah. How often do you, do you practice some of these other things that you might get hired for? Do, are they just things that you kind of have in your back pocket and you stay focused on like pole and steer wheel? It depends. Um, like still walking, I can still walk and that's like very easy, honestly. Like still walking is like riding a bike. Once you know it, you can kind of just like do it. And most of the time they just want you to stand around and look cool. Mm-hmm. Um, things like contortion, I don't, actually perform anymore because it requires so much upkeep especially as you get older you have to like give it a lot of time and I just decided I didn't want to give it the time anymore um and then aerial is sort of in between we're like I can get on an aerial hoop and do some like pretty good moves but like if you wanted to hire me for it tomorrow I might be like oh it'll be you know like maybe a little rough like I should probably practice a few times before I get up there in front of people. Um, I like to do aerial when I can, but it's definitely taken a backseat in the kind of past couple of years. So that's why I need to kind of like practice, practice a little before I do a performance on that. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm fascinated by this whole thing, actually. I'm, <laughs> I'm really, yeah. It's I mean, a whole economy. Yeah. People yeah. do it full time. You know, they just go from gig to gig and yeah. How often do you do these gigs? Uh, recently, very infrequently. Um, I just have been like focusing on school and work and, and training what I want to train. And roller skating now is like taking over my life. Ah, uh, yes, uh, I've seen the roller skating <laughs> as well, uh, which is not a performative art. So, I mean, you can like do roller skate dance, um, but. Yeah, I have been doing less gigs in the past couple of years, especially because COVID, they just kind of dried up. And I was like, I'll take a step back because this is not my full-time job. Like, Let other people kind of have the gigs that are there. Mm-hmm. Um, but at my height, it was like once or twice a month, mm-hmm. um, I would have something going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I just had no idea. Like I said, I just have not been at parties that are that good. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I know I know people that do, you know, upwards of five to 10 gigs a week, depending on the season. You know, Halloween gets really busy. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. you, you, you just have to like have a lot of connections and network hard, but mm-hmm. it can be a full-time job. Um, I'm curious what you're like, because yeah, I know you're working on a piece right now, but I... I'm, I don't know how much like your time when you're practicing goes to that. 
but I am curious, like, kind of what your practice looks like on a regular basis, you know, if there is any sort of like <laughs> thing that you can describe, because I mean, I struggle to describe what I do as well, but I'm curious. Yeah. I mean, it definitely changes when I'm like preparing for competition. I, I start to become a lot more structured. Um, right now, I will generally devote at least two or three sessions a week to preparing for my competition where I get on the pole and I like take one to two hours to work on something. Um, and then everything else is just sort of like fluid. It just sort of depends. Like there are classes that I'm like, oh, I like to go drop in at this class or go to this jam. Like there's a weekly cedar wheel jam at the circus center out here in Boulder. So I try to like keep that on the schedule or like, yeah, I'll, I'll, if there's like a good class, you know, at the dance studio, I'll, I'll go to that one regularly for a while. Um, I am trying to go to like the skate park a couple days a week because I just can't not because mm. I'm so compelled to go. Um, generally like five to six days a week, I'm out there moving pretty hard, but it's like pretty sporadic in terms of like where I go, what I do, how long I do it. Um, I work from home as a software developer. So I'll sneak away for like a couple hours in the afternoon sometimes or whatever. It's just kind of all over the place. And within each discipline, I will have like things I'm vaguely working towards, but it's not like I'm really building towards anything in particular, unless, unless there's a competition for, for pole. What's like, sometimes what's an example of like something you'd be like working towards or that you might be working towards on, on one of your apparatuses right now? Um, yeah. So like sear wheel, for example, there's like tricks that I'm trying to work up towards doing. Um, so in sear wheel, there's a move called a coin, which is where you're standing on the wheel and you go down onto one hand then the other hand, and then you like come back up and like, you drop like you would a coin falling. Um, and I've been able to do that for a couple of years with like four points of contact on the wheel where I have two hands and two feet. And I really wanna do skills where I can take a, a, a hand or a foot off and have like three points of contact and then you can make like cooler shapes. Uh, Cause a lot of like the four points of contact in Sear Wheel, you end up just looking like a frog. <laughs> it's not like the most flattering like position for your body to be in. So when you want to like create acts and then like make really beautiful dance pieces, it's like, okay, I kind of want to like get away from the frog because it's just like not, not as pretty to look at. Um, but it's a lot more work because once you like bring your feet together, like your weight shift ability really changes. So I've just been like going and practicing, like doing that as much as I can be like, okay, let me just work on my coins where my feet are together and, and just practice that every single time. And, hoping that eventually it becomes like so natural that I can think about what happens if I take one of the feet off, you know, even just like pop it off a little and, mm -hmm. and just do it with one foot on um, until eventually maybe I can do it with a leg, the whole leg is off and it's like behind my head or it's swirling around in front of me or whatever, whatever mm -hmm. I want to do with it. Hmm. So I, I feel like it's so interesting to get to talk to I feel like I get, I guess I should say, I think to some degree, everybody's an artist, right? And mm -hmm. I mean, everybody is an artist. <laughs> Getting to talk to people on here, I realize I'm talking to a lot of artists, but when I get to talk to people who have so many kind of like, call them like sculptures that they're working on, 
Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because it's like, I realize that people want to go learn from artists, right? And they th- mm-hmm. think that like an artist is going to teach them how to do something, but the best an artist can do is just kind of expose them to, to how they do their thing. Yeah. Like just expose them to their approach. And then people have to take, take that and, and do what they can with it. Totally. Yeah. That's, it's hard to teach that too. Cause you're like, what do you do? Just watch me like choreograph every day. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's why I've, I've, I've gotten to this place where like, uh, you know, recently like people will want to come and practice me or someone will ask like, Oh, we do, do you do like any like one-on-one sessions or anything? And I was like, no, I don't know that I want to do that anymore, mm-hmm. but you can come and practice with me more like an apprentice. Yeah. You know, and like, well, like I'm going to practice and you'll practice and we'll practice together. And that's the best way I feel like I can kind of pass on how I do or what I see. Yeah. Kind of like being with me doing the thing because me trying to create a syllabus of what I'm thinking and how I'm doing it is not going to be as valuable. You know, it's right. You know, I think of like, I always talk about this, but there's this great first episode of Chef's Table. I think it's the first one on Netflix where there's this chef in Patagonia and he has apprentices there mm-hmm. and, you know, they just kind of do what he does and follow him around and, you know, just, just kind of participate and witness. Yeah. And then for every one of them, there's a day where he's like, and now you leave. You're done now. You're done. <laughs> just like, get out. <laughs> it's over. You're ready. And go do whatever you're going to do. Yeah. Um, That's cool. I love that. But I think that there's something about that with like, yeah, I think about people who I've taken classes from and things like that, who I really think of as doing like really amazing pieces of art. And it's just like, you're not being taught how to do something. You're just getting a moment into their process. Like you're getting to be with their process a little bit. And then you walk out and take whatever connected to you from being in that process. Yeah. I've always felt like it's hard to package and deliver. So like your process, because once it's packaged, it's like inherently changed. Like you don't like make your work by thinking about it in these steps. It just sort of happens organically. And it, part of it is like the, the experimentation or the exploration of it. And to like, just like try to deliver that like very specifically to someone is like not the same thing at all. And it kind of like ruins it. Um, which is how I always felt when I taught like freestyle classes because I don't go and freestyle and think like okay I'm gonna like do this really specific prompt when I freestyle I kind of just go and like feel it until something sort of starts to form and I always felt like very disingenuous when I taught freestyle like this isn't actually how you freestyle but why am I teaching it this way but how do I not teach it this way just was you know I would rather just like freestyle with people Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like, just just like, come be weird with me. <laughs> and then whatever amount of it sticks, you can take that and run with it. Yeah, yeah. That, that makes a lot more sense. But it's hard. <laughs> yeah. It's hard when you're at a studio and they're like, we want you to have a class on the schedule. And you're like, yeah. can I just show up? And people just show up, but we just do stuff. Yeah, it's so funny because in certain places, in certain sections, like it seems like it, it makes all the sense to people. Mm-hmm. Oh, you just like want to like be near that thing. Like, again, like, you know, I think with any sort of practice where there's like apprenticeship, I think that it's kind of a given. 
again, I keep coming back to like chefs or something where it's like, you just need to go be near this person who's doing the thing. Yeah. And maybe I witnessed that a little bit in like my jujitsu school too, where there's just a little bit of just like, you just gotta like be near and in it and experiencing how people do their process because they're all artists at this highest level. Um, And that's like this interesting way of distributing knowledge. And it's a fraction of it is verbal. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about it as you were talking because I just feel like I'm getting this like glimpse into like how you approach it. And I'm like, it would did say it's it made me want to be like, I want to like be in your process <laughs> and, and really be like, oh yeah, okay. I can like I, I, I mean, feel it. It sounds cool, but it's very slow. Like the sear wheel thing, it's just like months of doing the same thing over and over again. Well, I think that that's what people are don't understand when they look at uh Instagram right mm-hmm. yeah yeah you don't see like because maybe you post something once but you're not gonna post it every single day like yeah yes I've been working on this like Taylor point every single day or every single time I trained for the past like six months yeah. but I post it you know maybe every few weeks I like post an update like oh it's getting better mm-hmm. but to people it might just look like oh I just practiced it one more time <laughs> right right like oh there it is cool she did it yeah, that was it. She just practiced it like three times and had it. And you know what it is? Instagram doesn't capture the tinkering. That's what it is. It doesn't capture yeah. the, the tinkering. And that's where the magic is. I feel like I found the Instagram stories to be better at that. Mm-hmm. Like for the poll competition I'm preparing for now, I've been trying to make an effort to post at least one or two things every time I'm like doing a prep session of like, here's what I'm working on today. And like, here's how it went. And I've been just like throwing that in my stories. I've actually been saving it to a highlight so that like I can go back and like see the whole process like play out. Um, mm-hmm. Because I don't, I don't know if anybody like is super interested in that, but I'm like, oh, this is kind of like an experiment in sort of documenting, or documenting that process. I just watched the I feel like I said I just watched a number of times. It sounds like I just watched documentaries and things over and over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I just watched the HBO documentary on Tony Hawk. And I don't oh, yeah. Know, I see. Seen it. It? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's kind of what we're talking about. Yes. And yes. so much of it is what is witnessing him do this thing. Over and over again. Yeah. And it's, it's beautiful. I mean, it was like kind of painful to watch a little bit. Because mm-hmm. I was like, I feel that I like feel the frustration of like why am I not getting it like I mean I'm I'm out there at the skate park doing the same thing literally every day like mm-hmm. <laughs> to not to that point you know that extreme like of, of skill but yeah yeah I, I was like uncomfortable a little bit watching him struggle mm-hmm. but it's the, but it's you know there's a lot of other pa- parts of the story but so much of that story is like his willingness to fail. And that's also just kind of the beauty of things like skateboarding and things like what we were describing. A lot of these, I say like counter and subculture kind of mm-hmm. activities where there's like failure is part of the game. Oh yes. I think that's why it's hard to find a lot of people who do steer wheel is because you have to fail so much before you get it. It's like, if you don't like fa- failure, don't, don't try to be a steer wheel artist because you're going to hate it because like it just 
even the first step takes you at least a couple of weeks to learn. Like you don't get satisfaction until like two months in, which is a long time to just struggle (laughs) as Mm -hmm. a beginner. You're like, when does it get fun? Right. Right. But it's like, again, to bring it to that Tony Hawk thing, you witness and you witness him and these things that last like a half a second, Mm -hmm. you witness him do it for hours and hours and days and months so I work he's like I work, you know we work everybody's working on this move for years yeah yeah you know but it's like that's that's the thing that <clears throat> the world that moves so fast and the Instagram and social media takes away and it's just like it makes us think that we're supposed to get everything very quickly rather than like no no you need to be on the steering wheel for months before something happens yeah yeah mm-hmm. totally yeah man it's just, it's so impressive what he does. <laughs> Man, it was, it's such a good, I don't know, again, insight into like an artist because there are, I don't know, it's more of an art than it is like a, a sport to me, skateboarding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I feel that way about a lot of things. You know, like breakdancing is going to be in the Olympics. Like I'm like, oh, it's, to me, it's more of an art than a sport. So when you watch him, like you're, you're watching this artist and it's like, that's that tinkering process. And it's just, you know, as you said, it's, he, he kind of steps up there with this big idea and like throws the big lines on there. Mm-hmm. And then you see him start to draw in. Right. And then every yeah. time he does it, he's getting like, He's, he's starting to like get the nose and then he's starting to get the eyes and then he's getting closer and closer and closer yeah. and closer to like creating this full, beautiful full portrait. Yeah. It's, uh, and that X games moment is unbelievable. <laughs> well, and I think the ability to like step back and like evaluate, what did I just do? Why did it not work? What can I adjust and then try it again and apply that is really hard but also like the most useful skill you can pick up um, if you want to learn very difficult things because you know it's nice to have a coach there to tell you what you did wrong but you're not always going to have a coach like unless you just have like buckets of money to hire someone to always be there but most of the time like you work with the coach a little bit and then you step away and you have your own practice and you have to like be self-sufficient Mm-hmm. And he's really good at that. Like no one taught him how to do those things. He just figured it out because he was at the top. Like there is no one to teach that. So like you <laughs> have to learn it. And yeah, I, I really related to that because there is no one to teach me. So you're really here. <laughs> just right. so, you, so, so you just have to learn how you learn. Yeah. 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 And master, I think that's so, and, master and so many people think, yeah. And so many people think that they're supposed to, be able to like uh, think their way through things, but it's this balance between the thinking and the not thinking or like the thinking and like directing awareness. Um, yes. Like the, um, like the thinking, the thinking brain and the automatic brain are, are, are self one and self two. <laughs> right. So it's like, after something happens, there has to be like a reflective process and then some sort of like directing of awareness and not trying to think your way through everything because when the action is actually happening, thinking is actually going to slow you down. Yes. Well, I mean, I mean, I don't know if there's like any technical theory on this, but uh, I believe like the body is its own cognitive vehicle, right? Like 
you think in your body and it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, the brain is like technically the director, but the body has like its own knowledge and ways of like learning um, mm-hmm. that you can't control with like rational intellect. <laughs> have you have you ever read um, The Inner Game of Tennis? No. That's kind of what this is. Yeah. It's just kind cool. of like, yeah, you know, I've, I've definitely brought this up on here before, but it's the idea of like, rather than saying to yourself, hit the ball in the middle of the racket, it would be notice where the ball lands on the racket. Mm-hmm. So you're taking failure out of it or you're taking judgment out of it. And now you're just letting your awareness go to your like arm and hand and this um, extension of your arm and hand that you're holding on to. Mm-hmm. So your, your body, its intelligence will learn it on its own as opposed to you telling it with your thinking brain what it's supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I should look at the inner game of tennis. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a classic, but it's, 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 it's it, almost like precisely what you were kind of describing mm-hmm. is that thing. Yeah. I'm very interested in like the ways bodies learn or the ways bodies think. Um, when I was in undergrad, I did a bachelor's thesis on like trying to teach a computer how to freestyle dance with me, <laughs> um, where I, I just like filmed myself dancing for like hours and hours. I did like a whole month of just like filming myself. And then I like took all that data. I like filmed myself with a very specific type of camera that like tracked sort of joints and all that. And I took that data and I tried to like analyze it and like with some unsupervised learning and like figure out like what were common poses and then we were common like sequences of poses and you know if I like dance in front of an AI agent that has taken like taken in all of this knowledge like can it like see what I'm doing and then like respond back with like the model of me dancing and sort of like have a conversation with a weird embodied version or disembodied version of myself (laughs) um (laughs) that is to say like I that was like the beginning I was like you could do so much more with this where you could like sort of see people's movement DNA through like the ways that they move. If you had like a big enough data set and had collected enough like data of people moving and like categorized it and like this person is trained in martial arts or dance or, you know, different types of things. Um, you could kind of like detect what they were doing or like what background they had based on how they moved and like recreate that. Um, create like a model of movement that was its own like like I don't know if you've ever heard of um natural language processing but it is like a study in artificial intelligence of like language and like it's what we use to um you know do sort of language detection um like chatbots use natural language processing or like um text detection on like you know you open your phone and it can tell you what what it's reading um, on like a, a menu or something. Um, I feel like you could do that with movement. Like you could like create the language of movement if you had enough information about it. It just would be a lot of information to be a very big project, but mm-hmm. that's my hypothesis. <laughs> yeah, that'll, that's quite the project. That would be, that's, that's something that's <laughs> gonna require a grant. 
Yes, that would be multiple PhDs and probably a lifetime of work. So it remains a hypothesis. I don't know if we need to know that. Like I've never like thought like, oh, this could be used for this application. There's probably applications you could apply it to, but I don't know that it would be always used for good. So maybe we don't need to use that. Um, yeah, but it, but, it, but, it, but it is fascinating. Yeah, I, I'm with you though on the idea that like sometimes like just because we could know something, it doesn't mean that we need to know it. Um, yeah, it, it's I mean, it's almost more fun to imagine it sometimes. Yeah, there's definitely a part of you that's just like, I just want to nerd out and like uncover the secrets. But then you're like, but is that a good thing for the world? I don't, I don't think so. Probably not. So it's fun to think about um, and sort of observe in people, but maybe not necessarily need to know. Mm-hmm in computers. Are you, what are you back in school for right now? Uh, I'm studying interactive intelligence in computer science. Um, mm-hmm. Still interested in the way like we could potentially interface with computers with our bodies um, and like move beyond like the thinking brain as we talk about it or the language brain. Mm-hmm. Um, that's like a big area of interest, but for now, I'm just studying some, like very basic general stuff in AI and machine learning. I look forward to the performance that you do that involves the computer. <laughs> well, I've done a few. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did a projection mapping piece for Pulse Theater USA a couple years ago. It was not the most amazing work, but I worked really hard on it (laughs) um and yeah I want to do more of it I want to build on sort of what I had done and like improve it I did like a little piece I did these shows during the pandemic where we took a house that was slated for demolition and there was no electricity or heating or cooling but we were allowed to just do whatever we wanted with this house it's awesome and we like segmented it into rooms that people were like shepherded through and they were like behind these like screens and we were behind some like plastic and you know each room was its own little like five minute performance and then they would be like sent onwards um and so I used that as an opportunity to do like a little bit of interactive um projection and like dance um that was fun but every time I do it I'm like oh yeah this is really hard (laughs) (laughs) it's a lot of work so um I would probably need to be out of school again to, to focus on, on doing something like that. Yeah. Um, do you have any other performances that are coming up other than the competition that you're doing in, in Canada? Nope, that's the only one right now. It's kind of a weird year for me. I haven't performed very much at all. It feels okay. very different. Yeah. I'm just focused on that right now. Okay, and remind me when that is. It is June 11th. It's that weekend. <laughs> I don't okay. remember the exact day. Yeah. Um, like the second week of June. Uh, okay. Yeah. And, and, are, and are these things like available to watch online, like during or after or something? Do they put up the- There will be video after. Um, I don't think they're doing any live streaming, no. um, unfortunately. Right. I love it when they do, but yeah. Yeah. 
you should just live stream yourself. You should just set up your, your phone. You should bring that to be part of your performance. You bring the phone on stage and set up. I, well, so, okay. I have this character that I've performed a few times that has an eyeball sewn into the crotch of the leotard. And like, so every time you like open your legs towards the audience, it's like looking at you. Uh-huh. And I've always really wanted to like put a very tiny camera in there <laughs> and then like have it project onto the stage so that like, whenever the legs open, people see themselves. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which, yeah, I don't know how you'd fit. Like you'd have to have a pretty small camera in there, but that's always a piece I've wanted to do. Oh my gosh. That sounds then, yeah. wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then maybe you could live stream that as well. And, and people could just watch the pr- performance from the perspective between my legs. <laughs> I guess you could do it other places as well, but that's like the fun place to reveal, right? <laughs> I look forward to that one. Yeah. <laughs> that would be funny though. If that's, if that's the entire YouTube video, like you actually don't see you performing at all. It's just, yeah. it's just from that camera. Yeah. You know, just every, every once in a while the audience appears so, and then the audience goes away and then the audience appears, and the audience goes away. And people are like, oh, that I'm not sweet. sure that would get the most YouTube views, but uh, it'd mm-hmm. be out there. It'd be a creative, creative thing out there. Yeah, totally. If people want to connect with you, what's the best way to do it? Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm just at Mary Burgess. Uh, it's just my name. Uh-huh. Uh, and I mean, that's, that's my most available means of contact okay. i'm on, on facebook a little bit as well but i don't usually accept friend requests unless unless i have a good feeling <laughs> <laughs> and then i'll add on the um a couple of those videos into the show notes because i think uh i think people will enjoy it yeah yeah i'll have to send you all of the link to the tree poll yeah yeah amazing i'm so happy that we got to do this yeah, I've, I've, I've heard of you for a long time. You're like in the movement zeitgeist. So The zeitgeist. Oh, wow. <laughs> I like that. It's cool to, to connect. 